Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. We rejoice and we are glad in it for you have set this day aside so that we might consider, so that we might worship and celebrate and praise our God. Thank you for the men, the women, the husband, the wives, the children, the boys and the girls, Lord, that love Jesus. Thank you for those that read the word of God. Thank you for those that depart from evil, Lord, and are shunning, putting away wickedness, Lord. Father God, you're purifying our hearts and separating the people unto you. We pray, Father God, that your spirit would continue to do that good work of sanctification. Father, we pray that you bless your word this morning, that we might be receptive and welcome, and that we, being recipients of a good seed, would bring forth good fruit, O God. Make us fertile ground to receive your word and produce a fruit that glorifies your name. We pray that you send your word out and it not return void, Lord, but that it would accomplish the work which you do. We glorify you. We bless you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Um, in the middle of what's going on, there is the foretaste. That means something that is like a little demonstration of what God has spoken about throughout the scriptures. It's a, it's a, it's a topic that many people don't want to talk about. When's the last time you heard something called the wrath of God. It's not something customary. I used to have a friend that uh, when I became a Christian, I began to tell him because the devil wants to destroy you. He said, please, please don't use the word devil. I don't want to hear it. Because every time you say devil, it's almost like you're picking a fight with him. So I believe the same thing happens with this issue of the wrath W-R-A-T-H, wrath of God. And so as I woke up yesterday morning, and I'm always, I'm, I'm attentive to the Lord. Lord, what do you want? How do you want it? When do you want it? Where do you want it? And I heard, you know, that the people of God in this hour must hear a healthy and consistent message like the Bible talks about when it regards the wrath of God. It's something that's so strange. Uh, it's the strange work of the Lord. When he brings his indignation, when he brings his anger, when he unleashes the torrent of his wrath and displeasure, it comes in the direction of his creation. So that's why it's, it's incredible to contemplate what many have foregone. They don't consider. And it should be something that we consider. It should be something that is up there in the same, if we're going to know the love of God, if we're going to know the forgiveness of God and the gift of God, we need to have a counterbalance and a counterweight which is called the wrath of God. And if you don't have a healthy understanding of the wrath of God, 
You cannot appreciate the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the compassion of the Lord. So I'm going to ask the Lord to, to let us fly, like stretch out your wings like an eagle and let the wind of his spirit carry you on this journey. In John chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, as the wind blows and it goes where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from. You cannot tell where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. This is not something that's improvised and rehearsed. It's a day-to-day walk with the Lord, and we're walking in the Spirit of the Lord. So in this regards, when you have an unhealthy measure, when you're not in the current of the Lord's Spirit, you're not going to soar the heights of God. It might be that you're diminished in the manner and in the height of your soaring because you're not there in the current of the Lord. Um, the Jewish people would say, if you had just a wrong belief in God, they would call it heresy. We don't hear about that no more. There's, there's so much. I listen to preachers all the time. And I wish I had a heresy button. And just a heresy, 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 heresy. What's that mean? It's a wrong belief in God. One of the heresies is God will judge no one. That God doesn't have wrath. That God doesn't get angry. That there is no object of his wrath and his anger and his displeasure. That's great heresy. Whenever you do something that causes you to have a wrong belief in God, it, it drives you in the wrong direction. And so it's a devastation. It's deception not to get heresy, the wrong belief of God in your life. Those uh, who say that God made them homosexual, that's a heresy. Uh, Anderson Cooper just had a baby he announced yesterday and he says, I'm glad to be a father. Duh! God wanted you to always be a father. That's why he wanted you not, that's why he wanted you to get married and have a family and give your son, Wyatt Morgan, to give your son a mom. How important is a mom? That you would love his mother and lay down your life for her. But we have all, with wrong beliefs, walked in wrong heresy. So we need to repent and turn back to God. And I have hope that Anderson Cooper, uh, the journalist from CNN, will repent and give his son an example of a righteous man, a righteous father, a father who loves God and keeps his commandments. So the second part of heresy is blasphemy. It's when you do something that offends God. Those of you who walk in heresy, those of you that don't know that you're being blasphemous, the wrath of God is upon you. The wrath of his indignation is headed in your direction. So you might not have been told. And maybe you have decided to believe because you have itching ears to mount of someone who would tell you everything's going to be all right. Um, that old song, what was it? Something about 
It's going to be, be happy, don't worry. Be happy, don't worry. Listen, don't be happy and worry. Concern yourself that the wrath of God is headed in your direction. And this, is, this was the admonition. This was the warning in the Bible all throughout Scripture, warning man to flee the coming wrath of God. To forsake heresy and blasphemy. And the result of heresy and blasphemy is called apostasy. Where you have decided to walk away from God. And you have become an object of his wrath. And now, instead of having his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his salvation, the wrath of God. One of the preachers says, having a toothache for 30 days is, is painful, but having the wrath of God for eternity is unbearable. You're not going to be able to withstand the wrath of his indignation, his displeasure. You cannot have a right relationship with God embracing a wrong belief. You need to believe what the word of God says. So it's comfortable nowadays for preachers to tell people um, the privileges and the, the benefits of coming to God. And that's glorifying and that's powerful. And you understand that God loves you more than his, his own creation. You're his masterpiece. And his mercy is upon you. That's why he's giving you his son. And you, when you hear this, those that you believe will not perish but have everlasting life. That's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's simple. It's real. It's sincere. When you hear the good news of the gospel and you repent and you come. I, I didn't come to the Lord because of the good news. I came because someone told me about the wrath of God upon my life. That I was destined to hell. That I was going to be eternally condemned and separated from God and my family and my friends. And that caused me to run to Jesus. That caused me to surrender. So the wrath of God being proclaimed in my life is not a curse. It's not something I took offense at. It's something that allowed me to run to God. And I thank God for that, listening to that message. A wrong belief will allow you to have a wrong relationship with God. A desire for false teaching will result in you not enduring and so that's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. That those in the last days will not tolerate sound doctrine. They're not going to be able to put up with the message about the wrath of God. They don't want to endure this. They think if, like the ostrich, if the lion's coming and I stick my head in the ground and I don't see him and I don't hear about him, it's not happening. Guess what? It is happening, it is coming, it is real. The wrath of God is authentic. The biggest, the, 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 the greatest failure of the Christian church in the modern age is to not have explained to the world concerning the wrath of God. We have not, we don't understand it. When it begins to pour itself out, People start running and they don't know what's happening. But those who are well versed, those who have the full counsel of God, 
They don't disregard the wrath of God. They are very well acquainted with the wrath of God. In fact, one of the verses is 2 Corinthians 5.11. One of those verses is right there in the middle of the book of love. Who wrote the book of love? The book of love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But in chapter 5 verse 11, Paul says, Because we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. His motivation to go and preach the gospel is because he was acquainted with the wrath of God. He knew how terrible it would be to not move in the direction to flee from the wrath of God, to run. It's not talking about you're packing your bags already. You pack fast. You get out of Dodge quickly because that judgment, that indignation, that wrath is coming as well as anything you know. And should you falter and faint and, and, and be unacquainted with the wrath of God, I believe your spiritual diligence begins to become lethargic and indifferent. I thank God every day for my salvation. Why? Because I know the wrath that was to be upon my life if I would have been found outside of Christ. If I didn't know the Lord. There was a fearful expectation of God's wrath. And so I understand the value and, and how I, I prioritize my relationship with God. And don't let other things come and interfere and take first place. So Paul would say, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But the Bible says the time will come where they will not tolerate sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 4 Verse 4 says, they will turn away their ears from the truth. They will begin to contemplate fables, myths, stories that are not true, that are unfounded. Man-made fictions. People going around saying, God's not so angry. God's not so upset. Listen, today you will know, and you will have no excuse. You will know this component and aspect of reality that causes our salvation to be ever sweet and ever priceless but these men will follow myths and fictions but as for you verse 5 you stay the course you endure hardship you do the work of the evangelist and fulfill the ministry <clears throat> don't wander off to accept the unacceptable. If you have a preacher telling you everything's going to be all right, I suggest you find yourself another preacher. I suggest you find yourself a preacher that will take you through scriptures so you get a healthy dose of reality. And that will posture your faith. That will allow your walk into the Lord not be forgetful and indifferent. Today, the spiritual diet is full of encouragement and comfort and all sorts of cheer. But never do these preachers even come near to touch upon the topic of the wrath of the Lord, the anger of God. And so 
I also have a, a huge challenge today to bring you a healthy expression so that you can balance your faith and allow yourself to soar and not to fall short. The Bible talks 180 times. 180 times the Bible talks about this wrath of God. It might be that you've never even heard about the wrath of God. Well, I suggest that you start reading your Bible and get a good-sized dose of the Holy Ghost. The wrath of God is not so much the emotion of being anger, because some of us are seeing friends and family that throw tantrums. God doesn't throw tantrums. God does not lose his marbles. His wrath is super methodical, super intentional and deliberate. And when it lashes out, the Bible says it's like a flood that is being held up, held back. And all of a sudden, in one instant, when that leashes forth, everything in the pathway of that wrath is a recipient of great torrent of destruction. So the way they describe it is not an outburst of unsettled emotion, but it's the, the measured opposition towards sin and unrighteousness. And every evil act, every rebellious act, every disobedient act will have a full measure, a full cup of the wrath of God. And so they call it the heat of God's displeasure. And it's dispensed towards the expression of hostility against God. Everything that rises up against God in the day of his wrath will have the measure of his indignation poured out. And it's a terrible thing to serve a living God. It's an incredible thing to know that every act of injustice, sin, rebellion, those people who stand, when you speak to them about the love of God, and there is no movement towards the cross. They don't go to church. They don't fellowship. They don't want to be in communion with the people of God. They stand to be the first in line as the recipients of his wrath. I've seen these people. They live their entire lives away from God. But in the moment of their sickness, they start, can you pray for me? Oh, God knows my faith. God knows my heart. Yes, he knows you're desperately wicked. You're unclean. You are wicked. And a lot of people say, Pastor, why do you use that word? Well, because years ago, I asked God, what was wickedness? And he took me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 20. And it says there, because of the evil which you have done, the wickedness of your doings, in that you have forgotten God. Now, a lot of people think that wickedness is raping or murdering or stealing. No, the most unraping, unmurdering, unstealing people are in hell. Why? Because they have forgotten God. This book is the only book in the world 
It's a bestseller of all times, filled with the word of God. They don't read it. They don't listen to it. They don't live by its boundaries and norms. They become doctors and they become lawyers. They become engineers. They study. They become businessmen. They know the markets, the economy. But they don't know God. They have forgotten God. And the Bible says, because of the wickedness of your doings, in that you have forgotten God, you who have forgotten God, the wrath of God is headed in your direction. So flee and come to Jesus, the refuge, the place God has caused his wrath to come upon Jesus on the cross and take his indignation on your behalf who believe. So upon a close examination of God's wrath, we see that it's prompting people to mercy and to grace. When you hear about the wrath of God, the motivation is not to sit there and get hit by it. The motivation is to run to his mercy. That's why he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Persuade them what? To draw near to Christ. To come to Jesus. That's the good news. The wrath of God is not a whim of God. It's not him being capricious. He's not just doing it because that is his disposition. No, that's a part of his character. You cannot define God in his mercy, his love, and forgiveness without balancing his wrath and his displeasure against hostility and sin. So in the Old Testament, we have an example that God would bring his message of deliverance through Moses. In the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, Moses says, God, I want to be a part, a part of your plan, but show me who you are. Before I embark in this great deliverance, I want to know who you are. And so chapter 33, verse 13, Moses tells God, Therefore, I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, show me now the way that I might know thee. Teach me how I could get to know you in your intimacy. What is, what is very close in your heart so that I could know who's the one that's leading me to lead these people out of slavery? That I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And there in chapter 34, in verse 6, the Lord answers Moses and caused himself. He says, you hide in the rock and I'm going to walk by. This is Moses in the book of Exodus, the Old Testament. God is going to introduce himself to Moses. And when he does, he says, the Lord, chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, God is merciful, he is gracious, he is patient, he's abundant in goodness and truth. What, what glorious attributes of a loving father. What amazing goodness of God. While other people want to, to illustrate God as a tyrant and as a bigot and as somebody who has no compassion. No, God is abounding with patience with graciousness, with goodness, with truth, with mercy. Verse 7 says, keeping mercy upon thousands, forgiving the iniquity and the transgression and sin. That's, that's a 
a, a, the one side of the coin about God. Who would know the love of God? How deep? How wide? How high? Who would know how God has opened his arms towards you? But it doesn't stop there. It says, and, verse 7, that he will by no means clear the guilty. He visits it upon the iniquity upon fathers and children and the children's children upon the third and fourth generation. He demonstrates judgment and wrath upon those who turn not to his mercy. They become the earmark of showing forth. He says, for this reason I have lifted up Pharaoh that I might show forth that he's a vessel not of honor. He's a vessel that merits the displeasure of God. He has hardened his heart against God. And so there it is. After God showed Moses the full measure of love, he also showed him the full measure of his wrath. He says, I'm loving forgiveness, abounding in love and mercy and compassion, but I visit the iniquity of fathers upon children and upon children's children. The wrath of God follows generation upon generation of those who turn from God. And so that was a clear indication of, hello, my name is God. I got a good side, but don't get on my bad side. And so when you have a healthy measure of love and wrath, you see what this causes in the life of Moses in verse 8. The Bible says, Moses quickly threw himself on the ground and began to worship the Lord with his face in the earth. When you have a clear measure of the understanding of God's love and his wrath, the full understanding of the weight of his wrath, there's no games to play. You throw yourself on the ground and you worship. And those people who don't understand or have a dismeasure. It doesn't matter if all you know is, is the anger of God. You're not going to worship because you think he's an angry man. Where he sow, reaps where he didn't sow. And he gathers where he did not participate. You have a misjudgment. But you might have a misjudgment about the love of God. And saying everything's alright. Don't worry. Be happy. I can do whatever I want. Whenever I want. However I want. And I can still worship God. And he accepts me. That's untrue my friend. That's heretical. That's blasphemous. You can't be right with God and wrong with humanity. Your faith has to be consistently thorough and established. But some people say, well, pastor, could you help me get to the New Testament? Because I, I have an issue. The Old Testament for me is not something that's practical. So let's go to the New Testament. And let's try to find the wrath of God in the New Testament and it's introduced by John the Baptist. John the Baptist had the, the, the charge from God to introduce the Lamb of God. What greater, what greater calling in the world than to be able to say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a glorious introduction. What a glorious privilege and honor. To be the man who would welcome Christ into the New Testament. He would announce the coming 
of the Messiah. But as he's doing this, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing people, and then he looks to the side while he is announcing the coming of the Lamb of God. In verse 7, he says like this, But when he saw many of the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, coming for baptism, he said to them, You serpents. That's a horrible hello. You brood of vipers. You wicked men. Who warned you to flee from the wrath and judgment to come? This is New Testament. This is just like Moses. He's not only seeing the goodness, the compassion, the salvation, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he says, you that are coming and don't know, they haven't given you a healthy measure of the wrath of God, let me spoon feed you this morning. That's what John the Baptist is saying. Don't come thinking that you're okay. And he said to them, who warned you? Who was your teacher? Many of us have teachers that have not told us the healthy balance of being on the wrong side of God's scales of justice. Many of you have not even heard the character attribute of God that says he's angry with sinners every day. Every day, we hear so much about, oh, God loves you, God loves you. I've never heard somebody come up that says, God is super upset at you. you. You have been weighed in the balance and have been found wanting. The Bible says in the book of Daniel that when the king heard that finger on the wall say you've been found wanting, all his intestinal muscles loosened, he crapped in his pants. His knees were shaking. Although he knew the love of God and the, he, he had experienced the prosperity of God, he forgot the wrath of God. And he went in his pants. He wasn't able to hold himself when he saw the fear and the terror of being on the wrong side of the scales. And so there, John the Baptist says, who warned you? So what am I supposed to do? Who warned you how to flee? Verse 8, he says, produce fruits consistent with repentance. Show a change of heart. Show a change of life. Show a change of your disposition, a change of priorities, a change of mind, an inward desire to please God on the outside. That's what repentance is. Verse 9, don't presume to say that you are the sons of Abraham. Don't have presumption in your heart. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. I had a man say that to me several times this week. God knows my heart. And I was thinking, yeah, God does know your heart. And it's desperately wicked. And it has turned in pride and arrogance. And God has something to do with turning his wrath in that direction. He continues to say in verse 10, John the Baptist, the axe is already swinging toward the root. God's about to take you down and you don't even know it. He was telling the Pharisees, the leaders, the Sadducees. The axe is coming and you still have exposed yourself to his wrath. Flee. Who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? The axe is already at the root. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Verse 12, another verse about the wrath of God. His winnowing fork is in his hands. He will thoroughly clear out his threshing floor. And he will gather the wheat into the barn. Those that are his will go into the kingdom. But he will burn up the chaff, the unrepentant, in the unquenchable fire of his indignation. John the Baptist is saying, hurry up. You better get on the right side of God. That was part of the message. It wasn't only behold the Lamb of God. It was you're in deep trouble, my friend. And we owe it to those that are recipients of his wrath the opportunity to get a taste of the indignation of the Lord through our words and through our tears. Many of us are losing our children to the flames of hell because we have not told them convincingly like Lot when he spoke to his in-laws, his son-in-laws. He said, listen, fire's falling from heaven. God's going to destroy the city. They begin to laugh. They didn't take him serious. The saddest thing about your family is they don't take you serious. You can't warn them of the coming wrath. They don't, they don't give it any weight, any honor, any, any part of their lives. Otherwise, they would be saved. So here, I was listening to a rabbi last night and says the biggest travesty that has happened in the world is that the Jewish faith has led people to believe that God is a God of anger. That his wrath and indignation towards sin is so hostile. So he says, I want to paint over that contrast. No, my friend. You don't paint over what God is showing you in scripture. So some people try to paint it over saying, there goes Joaquin again. My friend, this is not Joaquin. I've told you the heart of God. I've told you what scripture says. I've, I've drawn the line so you get on the right side of his mercy and his love. And that you not be with a preacher that destines you to hell. Because there is no contrast. There's 50 shades of gray. Oh, that was the Old Testament. Oh, that's Paul. Because if you go not only to Moses, but you go to John the Baptist. Now let's go well into the New Testament. Romans 1.18 Way before Paul is telling them about surrendering to God, he says like this, the wrath of God is directed from heaven towards all ungodliness. So we have Moses in the Old Testament, John the Baptist, New Testament, Paul in the deep of the New Testament, and they're all talking about the wrath of God. And, and this is like a, a tsunami, not, not of water, but of the wrath of God, of his indignation. And so I say, if God is not dispensing with this component of wrath, then why does the last book of the Bible, in chapter 16, well, we back up a little bit, chapter 15, verse 7, and God is giving the seven angels. He is handing to seven angels 
the seven cups, and I would suggest because they're going to be poured upon the earth, they're bowls. These are a little bigger than a cup. The bowls of the wrath of God, the one who lives forever and ever. Old Testament, John the Baptist starting the New Testament, Paul and deep in the New Testament, and in the last book of the Bible, God fills seven cups, seven bowls, seven vessels of, of a substance called the wrath of God. And they will be poured out upon the earth. And you do well to read Revelation 16. The first bowl has great sores, tumors, men breaking out with bodily disease. That's the first cup of his wrath. Second, the oceans, the seas turn into blood and all the creatures die. Second cup of his wrath in chapter 16 of Revelations. Number three, all the rivers upon the earth turn to blood. I don't know what that's like. It's a huge stench. Number four, the sun will scorch. The fourth cup is the sun will burn men alive with heat. Cup number five, the beast kingdom is plunged into darkness. Cup number six, the Euphrates dries up and the armies of the world gather in Armageddon. Cup number seven, the earth is totally shaken, totally stirred. People do not like to introduce God like this. Perhaps they begin to thwart God. If you monkey around with God and alter who he is, you no longer have the God of the Bible. Make up your own religion. Make up your own God. But our God is a faithful, loving, compassionate God. But he is moved with indignation and great anger and displeasure towards the hostility of his enemies, his anger, his wrath upon his creation. And those who make up another God better make up another heaven and temporarily make up no hell. But one day they will find themselves in the midst of the opposite side of God's wrath. It's super powerful how God speaks to us through his love and the counterweight, which is his wrath. The Bible says in Romans 2.5, because you have a calloused and stubborn and unrepentant heart. Listen to me. Billy Graham used to say, when I preach the gospel, some people melt like butter and others harden like clay. Get hard, resistant. They dispel the truth of God. They don't want to be acquainted with God. I have friends of mine that other friends give them books of philosophy, of life. They want to have the goodness of life, but they don't want God to be part of that goodness. They don't have God in their equation. The Bible says the fool has God in none of his thoughts. Doesn't think about God. But you who are callous and stubborn and unrepentant at heart, you are deliberately storing up wrath. Romans 2.5 You have a great cup of wrath coming your way on the day in which God's wrath is revealed. Verse 6, he will pay back to each person according to the things they did. 
Verse 7, to those who persisted in doing good, they will receive glory, honor, and eternal life, immortality. But those who were selfish, seeking their own, those who were selfish, disobedient, rebellious, they were not responsive to truth, but turned their life towards wickedness, they should be expecting wrath and indignation. There's going to be, verse 9, great tribulation and anguish for every human soul, to the Jewish first, and then to the Greek of those who have opted for evil. Disobedient, rebellious, selfish, serving yourself. The wrath of God is upon your life. And so when we are talking about I'm saved, we're talking about I'm not a recipient of his wrath. I'm saved. Hey, get saved. Hey, are you saved? I'm saved. My mother's saved. My sister's saved. Are you saved? What are you saved from? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. And I don't know how else to explain it. The wrath of God. And so these great teachers of the faith say it like this. We are saved from God. We're saved from God. Not only from hell and the devil, from his wrath. And we're saved by God. He's made provision. And we're saved not only from God and by God, but for God. Now we live for God. That's what salvation brings, past, present, and future. Jeremiah 44, 4 says, Do not do these things because I hate them. They're detestable to me. And verse 6 says, Because I hate these things and they're detestable to me, the wrath and anger will be poured out in that direction. The wrath and the anger. The Bible says in, first, in Romans 1 verse 20 that we are without excuse. I don't know who's going to hear this message or who's not. But if we love our loved ones, they need to hear this message. And not to get angry with me. And not to judge our church, but our responsibility is that people might know the reality and the truth of what's coming. They read the news every day. They watch their reports on the stock exchange every moment. My friend, if you saw the value of your eternal stock, you would be throwing yourself off a building concerned about the wrath of God that's headed in your direction. Don't despise his riches. His patience, his forbearance. Let these things lead you to repentance, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Let these truths not drive you away from God. Oh, don't tell them about wrath. Don't tell them about hell. Don't tell them about the devil. Don't tell them that he's in trouble. Don't tell them, don't tell them. Why aren't you going to tell him? Give them an opportunity to get to eternity and say, one person told me the truth of God's word. One person warned me. One person talked to me with tears in his eyes about where I was headed. And not this, uh, 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not delayed as someone who's lazy in bringing this to path. The Lord is not forgetting. He didn't write this off the books. 
He's not going to throw this under the carpet. He's not going to hide this in an attic. The Bible says he is long-suffering towards us. 2 Peter 3.9. He's not slack about his promise. Like you would count slackness. Like God is not going to do what he said. But he's patient towards us. Because in his heart, he willingly wants no one to perish, but that everyone repent. doesn't want anybody to be an object of his wrath, but he wants you to turn. He wants you to move in his direction. He wants you to step across the line. You don't want to be a grape in the winepress of the wrath of God. The Bible says that his garments are stained with blood. I don't know of anybody that's coming in peace that is splattering blood. And the Bible says it's Jesus coming with the indignation of his wrath towards his enemies. And it's going to be a great blood splatter for those of you that like forensic files and all these investigative shows. There's going to be somebody with a lot of blood on his hands and on his garments. And it's the blood of the enemies of God that's splattered on his clothes because his wrath and indignation is towards those who stand against God. How beautiful. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5, 9. Romans 5, 9 tells you much more than because he's justified you by the blood, we shall be saved from his wrath. Because the blood of Jesus was on the cross, the wrath of God now is not towards you, but his mercy, his compassion. You're under the blood. You have delivered yourself. You have fleed. You have run from the wrath of God, and now you're in a place of comfort and salvation. This aspect of salvation and running from the wrath, we shall be saved from his wrath through him. We've been washed by the blood of the lamb. Now we're not the objects and the vessels of his wrath, but of his mercy. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day, every day, they're piling up greater indignation and displeasure with God. They have wiped it out of their conscience that they're outside of God. Psalm 50 verse 22, consider this, you who forget God. Wow, what words. As it seems like throughout scripture, he's angry and he's upset, and his wrath is headed towards those who forget God. He says, why don't you bring this to your thoughts at the forefront of your thoughts? He says, put your life in order. I'm not going to walk in your direction. I'm not going to appease my wrath and my anger. But consider this. You who forget God, lest I tear you into pieces and there be none to defend you. There be no one standing there to protect you. Verse 23, whoever offers praise and glorifies me to him who orders his conduct, I will show my salvation. I will show salvation to those who repent and get right with God. But to those who forget God... Because of the wickedness of their evil doings in that they forgot God? What's that mean, Pastor? Explain it a little bit closer. John 3.18, whoever does not believe stands in, in the crosshairs of his wrath. 
Whoever does not believe, there's a lot of atheists. I don't believe, I don't believe. My friend, it's going to be a sad, sad, sad day for you. Paul says, with tears in my eyes, you have become an enemy of the cross of Christ and you decided to glorify things in your belly, live for this world. He who does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3, 36. He who believes and trusts in the Son and accepts him has eternal life. He already possesses the gift of God. But he who does not believe in the Son of God chooses to reject him. Will he not see the wrath of God hangs over him continually. Why would the Bible talk so much about this subject if it wasn't true? I have pastors that says, I can't preach that in my church because then everybody leaves. And so he started saying that there is no wrath, that grace does it all. God did it all. You don't have to do anything. How sad it is that the preachers in the land have not spoken up on this super important part and expression of our salvation salvation from his wrath his wrath causes his love to even be more priceless his wrath causes us to appreciate more our salvation Romans 1:18 Paul says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness things that are not right Amongst men who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. They want, to, they want to cause their unrighteousness to thwart truth. Hebrews 13.10, it's a fearful thing to be in the hands of a living God. The Lord is not indifferent towards rebellion, disobedience, and sin. God is on the side of the righteous. These men who mock God deliberately forget that when his wrath falls on the earth, he wiped out humanity and left only one family, Noah and his wife. These men forget. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 2, they willfully, deliberately forget that God destroyed, verse 8, no, verse 6, sorry, 2 Peter 3, 5, they willfully, deliberately forget the word of God, that the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, verse 6, by which the world that was then existed perished, being flooded with water. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Even the earth we have upon, that we stand upon right now, don't believe any story. At the end, it shall, after the millennium, the Lord will destroy with great indignation. And so he says to us, because they deliberately forget, and God at one time judged the earth and saw the flood come, verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Heavens will pass with great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will burn up. Verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will, 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 will be dissolved, 
What manner of person ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? What motivates a person to be holy and have conduct that pleases the God and live for the Lord is the fearful expectation of wrath. He didn't say because the love of God comes and forgives the multitude, you ought to live holy lives. No, because all things will burn on fire under the wrath and the indignation of the Lord. What life ought you live? How should your life be in the light of that reality? Holy and godly. It's powerful verses. Verse 12, looking and hastening for the day of the coming of God. Because the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness will dwell. I want to say something this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God has not appointed us unto wrath. And his plans and his book, his accounting, he hasn't put us on the column of wrath. He did not select us to condemn us. He destined, destined us and selected us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he hates sin and he hates rebellion and he hates disobedience. He's perfect in his holiness. In his holiness, he did not appoint us to wrath, but to salvation. Matthew 12, 36, every man and woman will be brought to account on the day of judgment for every careless word out of his mouth. You say, oh, I didn't mean it. Well, then don't mean it and don't say it. And live with the fearful expectation that God will judge all sin. He cannot be a righteous judge and let sin unapportioned, unaccounted. With great wrath, he will punish all sin, all sinners. And I want to lead you now to a place of refuge. While his hand is lifted high and he's about to excise judgment on the ungodly and he's about to weigh them in his balance, I want you to hear from the Lord. You say, Lord, I want to be holy as you are holy. I want you to start a work in my life. I want to be in Christ. I want to be found in salvation. I want to fear the Lord. I've lost the fear of the Lord. And you say to God, I just heard the most unpleasant preaching in my life. He didn't gloss over anything this morning. I'm in tremendous danger of the wrath of God. But I want to repent. I want to get right with God. I want to move in the direction of God's delight. I want to be his pleasure. I want to be a son that is faithful. Don't harden your heart towards these truths. Ask God to allow you for repentance. Do not treat this message for another day. You don't want to be on the wrong side of this reality. You want to be a faithful son. You want to honor your family, your God, your church. There is a great multitude moving in a wrong direction have itchy ears, they want pleasure, they want entertainment, they don't love truth. So Father, I thank you for this day. 
I thank you for mercy and grace. That where sin abounds, your grace overabounds. You have trumped the devil. You have trumped the indignation of your wrath by offering us a way of escape. That we not walk in presumption and thinking everything's going to be all right. Don't worry, be happy. But that we move in the direction of your glorious and great salvation. Thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for the blood of the lamb. Thank you that he took our iniquities, our rebellion, our sin, our disobedience, and now allow us to walk in a manner that's worthy of this great sacrifice, the cross of Calvary. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you make these things real in our lives and that we might serve you in a manner which is excellent, Lord. You desire that in our innermost being, there would be the righteousness of God, that we would have made peace with God. And we pray and glorify your name that we wake up and smell the wrath in Jesus' name. God bless you. God bless you. And God bless you. See you guys very soon. Love you and I miss you.